Thank you to all those that make our music ministry happen and go. And the commitment that you put into it as volunteers. And uh, that's much appreciated. First Kings chapter number 19 in your Bibles this morning. We have many people traveling today. Others are home not feeling well or sick. And uh, they're watching online. And so we welcome uh, you that are usually here but maybe not able to be here in person today. So... We uh, are glad that you are participating in the way that you can. And so thank you for being in the house of the Lord two days before the new year. Did everybody have a good Christmas? If you didn't, don't tell me. You'll, you'll ruin my day. Now, I hope everyone had a, a good Christmas. And um, 2019, I hope it brings all of you uh, pay raises, well-behaved children, nothing but goodness. Amen. First Kings. First Kings 19, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read from verse 9 down through verse number 14. I'll begin in verse 9 and we will read these responsively, meaning we will begin reading together in verse 10 and continue reading every other verse together until we read verse 14 together. I'll begin in verse number 9. The Bible says, And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? Together, verse 10. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains, and brake in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle, and went out and stood in the entering uh, end of the cave, and behold, There came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. I'm going to preach a sermon this morning by one word title. It's a title that's appropriate for this time of the year. It's simply this, Resolved. Resolved. Let's pray together. Lord, as we look at the story of Elijah during his uh, time of uh, reflection, time of getting his life back in order, after things had gone haywire on him, Lord, I pray this sermon would help us to do the same. May we be encouraged by what we hear today, and Lord, may we take the truths that are given and Use it to propel us forward, to have the best spiritual year that we could possibly have. Lord, may we we look back at this time next year and see significant spiritual growth that came during this upcoming calendar year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I have noticed that the older I get, the faster time seems to move. Anybody else here feel that way? Man, it just seems like just seems like a couple of days ago, a week ago, my family and I were loading the U-Haul and moving from Maryland to Connecticut. You know that that has now been two and a half years ago. Time flies. Time flies. And what a great two and a half years it's been. Um, are you ready for 2019? Are you ready for it? Uh, With the coming of a new year comes what? New Year's resolutions. I think that resolutions are a good thing. I think that improving yourself from one year to the next is good. I think it's it's a great, natural, easy place to look at where you've been, uh, where you are and where it is you want to go in the, in the upcoming year, and then uh, plan accordingly. I think that's great. 
Uh, and so New Year's resolutions uh, are a wonderful thing. But if we're honest about it, those of us that set New Year's resolutions, most of the time we don't really stick with it very long, do we? Um, I got, uh, I got uh, to doing some digging this week, and I got curious about gym memberships. Um, so I, I wondered what percentage of gym memberships are signed up for in the month of January. And I found out that it was 18% of all gym memberships are gotten in the month of January. And then I found out that the average length of time most people sign up for one is six months. And in, in the month of June is the greatest month of cancellation. Of gym membership. So people get them in January. They probably go to the gym till about Valentine's Day. They have a big meal at Valentine's Day. They give up after that. And they pay this monthly fee through June. And they say, ah, why am I paying for this uh, goofy thing? I never even go anyway. And, and they cancel it. They cancel it. Also found out that 70% of people that hold a gym membership do not regularly attend the gym. So... What a waste of money. I know that used to be me. I had a gym membership, and I think it was like I was going real faithful up until April was born. And after April was born, it just all went downhill. Amen? And um, um, Angela looked at me after we'd been paying that, that, that goofy thing for about six months, and she said, when are you going to cancel that gym membership? You never go anyway. What a waste of money. Um, but New Year's resolutions, we make them, and by March or April, Valentine's Day, uh, we we often fall through on them. I've also find it humorous how that uh, the capitalistic system is built to take advantage of people this time of year. I opened up my email earlier this week and I had an email from a financial software saying, "Purchase our software so you can get your finances in order for 2019." And uh, and you buy that you buy that software and you know. Maybe you make some changes, but for most people, the, the finances are the same in, at the end of, of one year as they were the previous year, but you're out the 50 bucks you paid for the software. So uh, there's, a, there's a lot of that that goes on. Uh, but uh, here's, I guess here's what I'm getting at uh, uh, by way of introduction this morning, is that if we make resolutions, but they're not steep in heart spiritual change, then they're going to fall by the wayside. You can, you can come up with all the self-will you want to try to change anything in your life. But if the Lord isn't behind it changing you at the heart level, it's a waste of time. It's a waste of time. And what I have found is that people in their 20s and early 30s are usually the ones making the resolutions. People in their upper 30s and beyond, they have tried over and over again to... I'm going to move this up a little bit. They've tried over and over again to make resolutions and seen that it hasn't worked. So by the time they get to 35 or 40, they say, what's the use? I'm not going to make any resolutions because it doesn't make any difference anyway. So I'm here to tell you today that we need to take a moment and we need to be resolute. We need to resolve in our hearts that things are going to change from one year to the next, uh, from 18 to 19, and that this time next year, Lord willing, Lord altering, Lord changing us, that we will be better versions of ourselves, more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I propose that looking back over a short period of time and taking note over what we've done and who we've been in order to make ourselves better That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. I propose that if you do not allow the Lord to fundamentally change you from within, then your resolutions will be nothing but a waste of time. Let's take the story of Elijah as he ran away from Queen Jezebel and see how it is that Elijah got back on track and resolved to finish his race strong. Finish his race strong. Let's look at four resolutions that we can copy from this Old Testament prophet, the prophet Elijah, this morning. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to do that. In the back of your bulletin, we give you a spot to do that. Write down number one, resolved to reflect. Resolved to reflect. Look back with me at 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse number 8. Now, before we look at the verse, let me just give you a little background here. We find um, earlier in the book, or just a couple chapters earlier, that... Um, 
I believe, the beginning of chapter 17, if my, my memory serves me right. Elijah is a little-known prophet. He's, God knows who he is, but the country doesn't know who he is. He walks into Ahab's palace. Ahab was the king of the ten tribes, and Ahab's palace was in Samaria, so he walks in the tribe there, and he tells the king, he says, it won't rain until I say so because of your idol worship. I'm sure that he was barely heard or maybe laughed, uh, laughed out of the palace, but uh, God took him and hit him by the brook Cherith. He brought raven's birds to feed him, and he drank water of the brook there. And a month went by, two months went by, three months went by, not a drop of water fell from the sky. Elijah was calling on a, a promise that God had made that if you turn from me, I will shut up the sky and it won't rain. And, and Elijah was calling on that promise of God as he walked in and declared that. And so God moved him from there and took him to another country where he lived with a widow and her son. And God continued to provide meal or flour in the bottom of a barrel and oil in a little vase or cruise. And they, became, they continued to eat a, a, a meal after meal after meal until God had commanded him to go back and face Ahab. So he goes back and he faces Ahab. He gathers all of the false prophets and gets them up on a mount. And then he gets the people up there and he, he gives one of the most quotable lines in the Bible. He says, how long halt ye between two opinions? Is it going to be Baal or is it going to be the Lord God Jehovah that you're going to worship? Quit straddling the fence is what he was saying. And so he sets up a contest. He has the 400 prophets of the false idol Baal, false prophet Baal, or the false right false idol and their false prophets, set up a, a, a sacrifice, and they put a bull up there, and, and he says, call down fire from heaven, don't don't cheat, call down fire from heaven. And they dance around all day, and, and there's no fire that fell from heaven. And then another bull is set up, and, I, uh, and Elijah prays something like a, I can't remember exactly, it's like a 63-word prayer. Don't, don't be counting. Count after church. Amen. Somebody looking down. One, two, three. Don't do that. Okay. Uh, but praise this prayer. And fire falls out of the sky and consumes it and laps up the water that had been in the trench there. And then the people gather up the prophets and Elijah kills all 400 of these prophets at the commandment of the Lord. Then he goes and he prays and a deluge of water comes and they get the rain they hadn't had for three Plus years, Elijah then gets up and he runs all the way back into town. And uh, Jezebel finds out what happens, and she sends a guy at the beginning of chapter, I believe it's chapter 18 or maybe chapter 19, and says, "Hey, you, um, uh, if you're not if you're not dead by this time tomorrow, then may may bad things happen to me." Jezebel basically says to him, "He had just stood up the 400 prophets, and now he's going to run from a woman." He's going to run from Jezebel. He'd stood up to the king, but ran from the queen. And off he ran, and he ran, and he ran, and he collapsed under a juniper tree. And he said, Lord, just take my life and let me die. And God said, hey, why don't you just get some sleep, big guy? He slept, and he slept, and he slept, and he slept, and some angels came down and prepared him some food. Woke him up and fed him, and then he slept, and he slept, and he slept some more, and he woke up, and he ate some more food. And then he got up, and he made a 40-day and 40-night trip all the way back to Mount Sinai. Does anybody know what significant thing happened at Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai in the Bible? The Law of Moses. That's where the Ten Commandments were given. God took Elijah back to the same place where the law had been given to the root of his faith. The root of his faith. That's where we find Elijah. There's a cave in Mount Sinai, and he went to that cave so that God could work on his heart. and He could get himself back in balance. Right, look at verse number 8 now. It says, And he arose and did eat and drink, and went in the strength of that meat, or of that food, forty days and forty nights, until unto Horeb, the Mount of God. By the way, Horeb and Sinai are the same place. They're used interchangeably throughout the Old Testament. Look at verse 9. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? Why are you here? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life. To take it away. Um, 
God took him back to this mount. And here he was in a time of reflection. Time of reflection. The place that represented the origin of his faith. The root of his faith. Uh, that place he was taken back to. And sitting in that cave, throwing himself a little bit of a pity party, God looks at Elijah and he says, Elijah, why are you here? Not, why are you here? God brought him here, but what, what, why, why did, how did you get to the place where you needed to be here? Letter A, and notice, as we talk about a time of reflection, resolve to reflect, let's reflect back uh, on 2018, let's reflect back on my walk with God. My walk with God. I want us to do like Elijah did in that, in that cave there in Mount Sinai that day. I want us to look back over 2018. And I want you individually to ask yourself this question. How was my walk with God? Now, the Bible tells us it's not wise to compare ourselves among ourselves. Okay? But there isn't anything wrong with comparing yourself against who you were. Think about December 2017. Are you closer to the Lord now than you were then? You see, we're always traveling in our journey with the Lord. Listen up. We're always, tra- we're always traveling in our journey with the Lord. We're either traveling closer to Him or we're drifting from Him. We're not staying in the same place. I want you to imagine that we were to go down to a boat that is docked in harbor, maybe down here on the sound, and we were to untie the boat from the harbor. Do you know if you take the, the boat, uh, the, the, the rope off that boat away from the harbor, it's not going to just sit at harbor. You understand that? It's going to drift away, slowly but surely. And you're either drifting and moving closer to the Lord, or you're drifting away little at a time, further from the Lord, and the question is this, are you now closer to God in December of 18 than you were in December of 17? And we've talked about the Christian life, how that it's two steps forward and one step backwards. And that's the Christian life. We, we, take, we do have those steps backward, but they've got to be followed up with forward progress. And the question is, am I closer to the Lord this year than I was Last year, my walk with God. Uh, let me ask you a question, uh, some, some very pointed questions this morning, and I want you to answer them in your heart. Uh, uh, more or less, more or less, do you read your Bible every day? More or less, do you read your Bible every day? All right, I want you to answer that question in your, in your heart right now. You personally, do you read your Bible every day? And if the answer is no, don't beat yourself over it, up over it, but commit to do better next year. Here's another question as we reflect back. Do you pray regularly? Regularly. Um, some of you made some big decisions in 2018. Some of you made some big decisions as far as a career move. Others of you made some sort of financial decision. You, you purchased something that was larger, maybe a new vehicle or a new house. Uh, uh, you maybe um, uh, decided to make a donation to a charity or another that was a substantial amount. Let me ask you a question. Did you consult the Lord for a long period of time before you made that decision? Do you know that it's always a wise thing that to set a dollar amount and say, I am not going to spend over this amount until I have taken 30 days to pray about it? If you're married, pray about that thing with your spouse. 30 days to pray about it. Did you consult the Lord on the big decisions in 2018? Here's another question. How about the little decisions? Did you consult the Lord about those? Some of you here, there are multiple routes you can take to work. When you left the house each day to go to school or to work, did you say to the Lord, Lord, which route would you have me take today? You say, oh, Pastor, God doesn't care about that. In all thy ways, acknowledge Him. And He shall direct thy path. 
We know the little big principle, right? The little things make up the big things. And if you're not consulting God on the little things, then you won't consult Him on the big things. So in 2018, how was your walk with God? Did you consult Him about what you were going to wear? Did you consult Him about what you were going to listen to? Did you consult the Lord about what you were going to watch? Did you consult the Lord about the friends that you were going to make? Did you take these things to Him in prayer? My walk uh, with with God. Letter B, notice, my work for God. My work for God. So, it's uh, one thing to walk with God. It's a whole other game to work for God. Now, of the two, I've got to tell you that Elijah was best at this one. Elijah's work for God, boy, it was intense. And I believe Elijah had a walk with God. But of the two, uh, if you were going to put them in muscle mass index... His muscles for work were much larger than his muscles for his walk. Boy, he was a workaholic for God, and he worked hard. Uh, First Kings, we find all kinds of stories of Elijah doing incredible feats for the Lord. And as we reflect back on 2018, another question should definitely be asked, how has my work for God been? Did I do work for the Lord in 2018? Did I do more work for the Lord in 18 than I did in 17? A young Christian may wonder why it is that uh, this preacher always talks, uh, or this preacher talks about this so much. The short answer is that God calls those who are saved to do His work. Hold your place in 1 Kings and turn over to Ephesians chapter number 2. Let me just show you that if you are a born-again believer, you weren't born again to sit on your hands and to be a pupitata. You were, sit, uh, you were born again to serve the Lord and do the work of the Lord, to do the work of the Lord. Now, we find two types of salvation, uh, salvations in Ephesians 2. We find the sal- salvaging of the soul from heaven to hell. And then we find the salvaging or the recycling of of that saved soul to a new purpose, a a repurposing of that salvaged soul. Look at verse 8. We find that first type of salvation. For by grace are ye saved through faith, saved or rescued, uh, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. So if there's any question about how to get saved this morning, you do not get saved by doing anything. You get saved by believing in Jesus. I was listening to the book of Hebrews this week in preparation for the upcoming Bible study we're going to be doing and listening to the audio of it in a cycle. And I believe it's chapter 4 or 5. The Bible talks about how that the Israelites were denied access into the promised land because of their unbelief. One day, if you're denied access to heaven, it won't be because you did or didn't go to church. It won't be because you did or didn't give money uh, uh, to a good cause, a noble cause. It won't be because you were or weren't a good neighbor. If you're denied access to heaven one day, it will be for one reason and one reason only. The unbelief in your heart. You must turn to Jesus and believe in Him. Just like they had to believe in God to get them in the promised land, you've got to see that you can't get to heaven without Him, and you turn to Him. So that's how a person gets saved. But what about after you're saved? Does, does it just stop there? Do we just trust in Christ to get saved so that we can be saved and get to heaven? And Oh, okay, I got that settled. Now I'm going to go live my life how I was living it before. Now, I believe with all my heart the Bible teaches that once you get saved, you're, you're always saved. I can take you to many, many different places that teach that. But my friend, once you've been saved, God has a purpose for you. He has a work for you. Look at verse 10. It says, therefore, we are His... Read that next word out loud together with me. Workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. Read the next three words. Unto good works, which God hath before ordained. And read the rest of the verse with me that we should walk in them. You are His workmanship. You are created in Christ Jesus unto good works so that you can walk in them. You say, okay, Pastor, that's great. I'm created for the work of God. What is the work of God? Give me some specifics. All right, let me give you some specifics. There are different types of Christian work. Now, before I give these to you, let me just tell you what Christians sitting in the pew are excellent at. I'm going to tell you why I know you're good at this. Because when I sat in the pew, and I listened to the preaching, and I wasn't doing the preaching, this is what I did. All right? We'll listen to a list like this, and we'll hear that we do a couple of them, and then we do this right here. Yep, I got that accomplished. Don't listen for what you do do. Listen for what you don't do. 
Okay? Everybody with me? Don't pat yourself on the back because I read something on the list that you're doing. Listen for what you're not doing and ask God to help you improve in that. All right? So here are some examples of Christian work. Well, there are provisional. Provisional. You know, the Bible says that if you don't provide for your own, you're worse than an unbeliever or an infidel. Okay, so uh, do you know that getting up every day and going to work, men and ladies, if you have a job, that that is doing the work of the Lord? Okay? You say, all I do is swing a hammer. Well, swing it in the name of Jesus. You say, I'm an IT guy at a, at a company. Then you IT away in the name of the Lord. All right? You can uh, you you can help people you you can help in, uh, uh, advise people on the stock market and do that in the name of Christ. Whatever it is that you do, as long as you're not in some sort of sinful uh, work, then then you have been called to do that in the name of the Lord. So provisional uh, types of Christian work. Uh, well, uh, going to work. Here's another one: buying and maintaining necessities. Do you know that if God has given you a house to own? Part of doing the work of the Lord, Lord is that you maintain that home in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. Sometimes that means cleaning out your gutters. That means cutting your lawn. You say, that's not the work of the Lord. Yes, it is. You're a steward of that. You're to take care of it. Okay, so that's an example of Christian work. And listen, going to work and taking care of the necessities that we've been given, uh, that's, enough, that, that's a lot, but there's more to it. Here's another example of Christian work. I gave you provisional. Let me also give you relational. Do you know that if you are here today and you are uh, somebody's child and they're alive, you have a duty to honor them? Uh, that's the work of the Lord. Do you know that if you have friends, the Bible says that you are to sharpen them in the Lord? Right? Uh, you are to uh, be a good spouse if you're married. You're to be a good parent if you're a parent, not provoke your children to wrath. Here's another one. How about your neighbors? How about your coworkers? Your relationship with them matters, and that is the work of the Lord. Now, we've looked at provisional and relational, but I've got to tell you that there is another one that I believe a lot of Christians ignore. And here it is. It's eternal. Eternal. Christians, if you're saved... You've been called to do the work of the Lord. And that isn't just loving your spouse, uh, honoring your parents, being kind to your neighbor, and going to work. A lot of Christians do those things, and a lot of you do those things, and that's where it ends. And my friend, you must mature. You must maturate in your Christian life, where you look at the eternal, and you see that there are people walking past us every day with an eternal soul. They're going to spend eternity in heaven or hell. The majority of them are headed to hell. And we must do our part to do the eternal work of the Lord. You say, well, pastor, how do I do that? Well, let me give you a couple of thoughts here, and I encourage you to jot these down. The first one would be the advancement of the church program. The advancement of the church program. Do you know what church is? It's supposed to be a hospital. It's supposed to be a salvation station. You all with me here? This is a hospital. You know, if someone were to stumble in the back doors of this church drunk come in and have alcohol in their breath and slurring their words, I sure hope we would welcome them in and say, hey, you came to the right place. Hey, this is the place to come to get help, not act all indignant. What are you doing here? What? How dare you ruin my Sunday by coming in and smelling like that? No, no, no. This is a hospital. We want those type here. In fact, there's no sin somebody could be living in out there where if they came in the doors of this church, we wouldn't say, hey, here's the healing balm of Jesus. You come here and we'll help you. When you sing in the choir, you're helping the pastor and this church advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ladies, when you work the nursery back here, you're taking care of babies so the service isn't interrupted and the gospel can be heralded forth. Men, when you usher and you pass the offering plates and you greet our visitors and those of you that come in and you are kind and friendly to others that walk in the door for the first time, what you're doing is you're helping advance the program of the church and the program of the church is the gospel of Jesus Christ. How can you help with the eternal? Well, here's the most basic thing thing you can do. Be here for all the church services. 
boy, set that schedule up where you can be here Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and come to Sunday school. I know some of you right now, your work schedules don't allow that. Life doesn't allow that. But boy, long term, it ought to be your goal to get things structured in such a way where you can be in the house of God, encouraging the people of God and being there to help others. I look at a Jake Holly back here in the back row and what, 14, 13, 14 years ago, he came in the door of this church and he wasn't saved. He didn't know the Lord is the Savior. And I believe two different men in our church took the Bible and sat down with him and led him to Christ. What if those men had not been here that day? What if they had had other things going on and no one would have been able to take the time to share with him Jesus? The pastor can't get to everybody. We, we need that. So the advancement of the church program. Boy, get involved. Be involved. Here's another area. Advancement of the gospel message. Every Tuesday night and every Saturday morning, we meet here and we go out and we share the gospel with the world around us. And Listen, you have provisional, you have relational, and you have eternal. And sometimes, doing the work of the Lord can feel like a juggling act, can it? And you know what? You know the easiest to juggle is one ball. Let's toss that up and catch it. And then you get good at two balls. And you can do that in a cycle. You can even do it with your eyes closed, maybe, if you get real good. But boy, when you add that third ball in, and you're you're juggling three things, that can be tough. You know what a lot of Christians do? They set that third ball down, and they just juggle the two. Or they set the second down one, and they say, well, you know what, I I go to work, and I'm nice to my neighbors, so that's good enough. No, Christians, you've got to see, am I doing more for the work of God today than I was in 2017? And can I do better in 2019? We need to resolve to reflect, looking backwards, are you doing the eternal work of the Lord? Number one, resolve to reflect. Number two, resolve to to reprioritize, resolved to reprioritize. Look back with me at 1 Kings chapter uh, number 19. 1 Kings chapter number 19 and uh, in verse number 11. Turn back over there with me if you would. Here we find Elijah in a cave, in the, in the depths of despair, in, in a little bit of a pity party. And I'm not throwing stones at Elijah. Listen, I'm judging him. I, I have no idea what it was like to walk his uh, walk in his shoes and be in that spot. I probably would have been in the same cave in the same uh, uh, pit of despair if I was him. But we find him there. Look at verse 11. And he said, go forth. This is God speaking to Elijah. Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Elijah had spent some time in that cave. God decided it was time to give his servant a visual example of Elijah's out-of-balance life. Now, Elijah needed to get some things back in order. And how was Elijah out of balance? So I've, I've read the story of Elijah multiple times this week in pre- preparation for this me- message. And, and I can't take you to an exact verse that says this. But here's the idea I get after reading the story of Elijah. Elijah was a whole lot better at doing the work of God than he was walking with God. Now, I believe Elijah walked with God, but I don't believe Elijah walked with God enough. And he was so busy doing the work of God that the walk with God was too anemic to carry the heavy workload he was doing. So what did God do? God brought Elijah out of the cave there, got got him in the mouth of the cave, and then some, some big works happened right in front of Elijah. Well, the first one was uh, uh, that a strong wind, tornadic type wind, came blowing through. And the wind was so strong, it broke a mountain in half, or broke rocks in half. That's impressive. I don't know that I've ever seen wind do that in front of me. I've seen videos. But wow. And the Bible tells us that God was not in the wind. And then an earthquake happened. And I'm sure the ground rumbled under him. Was it sensational? I believe it was sensational. Was it all-taking? Was it marvelous? Was it worth telling a story in the future? Yes, it's recorded in the Bible. But was God in it? No, He wasn't. And then a fire came about. Fire came up. I've seen pictures and videos of Mount Sinai. I don't know where a fire would happen. Maybe there was some growth or some brush that burnt that day. But a great fire happened and, and God was not in the fire. You know what God was trying to tell Elijah is that, yes, the works of God are important, but you don't get filled 
with the Spirit of God by doing His work. You get filled with the Spirit of God by during your walk. You see, behind the tornado and behind the earthquake and behind the fire, there was the still small voice of the Spirit of God. That's where Elijah could get his replenishment. You see, my friend, uh, please hear me on this. I, I really hope you'll hear me on this. We all live in a time where we're busy and we're running 100 miles an hour and we're not getting proper sleep and our, bal- our, our diets are oftentimes out of balance and, and we're malnourished in a lot of ways and we're overweight sometimes and, 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 and things are just out of whack and we go, 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 go and we think, oh, I just need some rest. And I'd say, yes, we do need rest as a culture. How do you define rest? Is rest sitting in your lazy boy with your legs propped up watching sports or binging on Netflix? Is that rest? If I said to you, what does rest mean to you? That's what a lot of you think rest is. And there is physical rest that you get from taking a nap or maybe resting uh, uh, with some entertainment. But real, true, spiritual rest comes from a genuine, deep, heartfelt walk with God. That's what Elijah was missing. And can we be honest this morning? That's what a lot of you are missing. Oh, you're busy running to work. And you're busy loving on your family. And you're busy taking care of the needs of others. And you're running here and there. And you're ushering at the church. And you're involved in this ministry and that ministry. And it's go, 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 go. But the walk with God is just not really what it ought to be. You might have one, but it isn't strong enough to carry the workload you're under. Notice letter A. Work without walk. Work without walk. I'm talking about those that want to constantly be involved in anything and everything they can get their hands on inside the church house, outside the church house. They're always doing good for others. But you know deep down in your heart that your walk with God is not what it ought to be. I can relate with Elijah in so many ways. Because if I am going to be out of balance in, 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 uh, in any area, it's going to be this one. If I'm going to be out of balance, it's going to be me working, 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 working. You remember the story of Mary and Martha, right? In the book of John? Martha was cumbered about in the kitchen, getting the meal ready. Mary was crashed at the feet of Jesus, walking with, uh, uh, listening to him. And, and God told, he told uh, uh, Martha, he said, Mary's chosen the better of the two. What he was saying is if you're going to be out of balance, don't be out of balance the way you are. Be out of balance the way she is. Work without walk. Um, nothing wrong with teaching Sunday school. We can't have a Sunday school program without the Sunday school teachers. I'm thankful for every person in this room today that teaches Sunday school. Teaching Sunday school is a good thing. But my friend, if you're getting up and teaching that class and you haven't walked with God... You're setting yourself up for failure. Serving in the bus ministry, helping in the children's ministry, working the sound booth, ushering, being a deacon, singing in the choir. We need you folks that do these things to do these things. If you're not walking with God, all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One come down. You're doing the work of God, but you know that you aren't adequately walking with God. Hey, in 2019, why don't we reprioritize? Why don't we get this back in balance? Let her be noticed. Walk without work. Walk without work. Now, there are a few people I have met along my path that have it out of balance this direction. I call them Dead Sea Christians. Dead Sea Christians. You say, Pastor, why do you call them Dead Sea Christians? Have you ever seen the Dead Sea? The Sea of Galilee flows into the Dead Sea. But there's no giving out. They take, it takes in, but it doesn't give out. And you know what the Dead Sea is? It's toxic. Because as the water evaporates, the salt and minerals are left. And it is so, it is so uh, uh, rich in sodium that you can lay and float on top of it. I can't float in my pool. I could float in the Dead Sea. Right? It's just worthless. They're Dead Sea Christians. Now, there are some people, and there are probably people like this in this church. If I wanted to sit down and have a theological discussion with you, and we wanted to parse the Scriptures, boy, you could sit down and tell me all about the these and the thous, and you could tell me about the history of the Amorites and the Jebusites and the Mosquito Bites. Just making sure you're awake, okay? 
You can tell me. You can tell me uh, uh, all. You can tell me the difference between Peter and Paul and their ministries, and one served the Jews and the Gentiles. And you can go into deep, deep details about the gospel according to Paul versus the gospel according to Peter. And you, I mean, you, you could you, you could go in and dissect things that would make the average Christian's head spin. But the truth is, you're not doing anything for God. Your idea of working for God is reading your Bible and praying. And my friend, you're walking with God, but you're not working for God. And it's just as wrong to be out of balance that direction. You are, you are a walking Bible commentary. But practically you're worthless. Because you're not helping anybody. Other than showing off how smart you are. You know what 1 Corinthians 13 tells us? It tells us that knowledge puffeth up. A lot of people are that way. Boy, they are proud of what they know and ready to show everybody. There are other people, there are other people who, um, who spend their life in prayer. And, and, and I'm going to get on this here because I think these people are more sincere in nature. But their attitude is this. Please hear me. I'm going to do the praying while somebody else does the working. Now, there is, a, there is a group of people that that fits for. Can I tell you who that is? Shut-ins. But that's where it begins and ends. If you are bedridden, and you can't go anywhere. I think of a Mary Verone, stuck in, 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 a, in a nursing home and living out the last days of her life. Every time I'd walk in Mary's room, her eyes were closed, and she usually wasn't sleeping. She was praying. She was praying. You know, she fit that bill of doing the praying while someone else did the working. But my friend, if your feet work and your mind works and you can go, it isn't enough for you just to pray. Yes, you need to pray, but you need to get up and you need to get to work. Don't just walk with God, work with God. Let her see notice, talking about reprioritizing. Walk with my work. This is the Christian goal. The Christian goal is to walk with God and work for God. Let me say that again. The Christian goal is to walk with God and work for God. Notice the choice of conjunction. I didn't say to walk with God or work for God. It's walk with God and work for God. God has called you to do both. Both are of the necessity. And we've got to look at which way we're out of balance. I want all of you right now to take a moment and, and answer this question to yourself. All right? Answer this question to yourself. Am I out of balance with my walk and my work? Yes or no? Answer that question in your mind. And if you're out of balance, how are you out of balance? Is your walk stronger than your work? Is your work stronger than your walk? Boy, God's worked on me with this this week. I, I read my Bible every day. But my work for a long time now, has been stronger than my walk. God's been beating me up all week. He's been saying, Richard, you need to get that back in balance. Walk with my work. Here's a couple of practical thoughts on this. Uh, begin each morning by talking with God. First thing you ought to do when you wake up every morning is, Good morning, Lord. Thank you for giving me another day to live and breathe. Thank you for your goodness and your compassions that fail not that are new every morning. Number two, read your Bible before you look at your phone. Some of you wake up in the morning, first thing you do is roll over and pick up that phone off that wireless charger. And you go, whoop, Facebook, huh, I got ten notifications. I'm going to give the quote I gave a couple of months ago. Get your face in the book before you put it in Facebook. Okay? God's been working with me on looking at my Bible before I look at my phone as well. Number three. Talk with the Lord while you read the Bible. Don't, don't be ritualistic where you go, okay, uh, Bible reading schedule is 1 Kings 14, uh, and you read 15, 16, 17, you go it up, okay, uh, Lord, help me have a good day, amen, and you move on. Hey, read your Bible and pray. You can do that at the same time. Lord, what would you have me get out of the Bible today? Show me. 
You read a verse and, and Holy Spirit's working on your heart with that, stop and take a minute and commune with the Lord. I'm all for reading your Bible through every year. And if you have the time to spend an hour reading your Bible every day, I think that's wonderful. But listen, sometimes it's fun to, to read the Bible in the express lane and get three chapters in and close it. Sometimes it's good to read half a chapter and let God break your heart open as He's showing you things and you're communing with the Lord and you're talking with Him and you've been in your Bible for an hour and you've gone seven verses. You move at that rate for a year and you go, at the end of the year, I've read three books of the Bible. But your walk with God has grown so much sweeter. Here's another thought. As you serve your family, ask God for wisdom. You have a cantankerous adult parent. You're an adult child and you have a parent that's cantankerous. Or an adult child that's cantankerous. Or a spouse that maybe isn't having uh, the best uh, 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 day. Or uh, you, you need wisdom in how to handle a distant relative. And ask God for wisdom. Allow the Spirit of God to dictate your own spirit. And before you begin a task, take a moment and ask God for His wisdom. Uh, number seven, have both a prayer time and a prayer life. And then number eight, fall asleep in prayer the way that you woke up. I remember, I, I'll just finish with this illustration, and we'll get through the rest of the message quickly here. I remember um, my first job. I was 13 years old, and I was working on a uh, fruit farm in, uh, in Alabama. And I had uh, just started, I think it was my first week, and we were inside a greenhouse and we were going through getting the strawberry plants that were in these plastic sleeves ready to be put outside uh, there uh, in, in, in where they were in the field. And, and I, was, I was doing, and I was there working amongst adult friends. My history teacher and basketball coach was there. Uh, the boss was one of the other basketball coaches who, who ran the farm. And I got busy talking. And I forgot to work. And I'm being paid hourly. And I'm in there and I'm talking away and talking away. And the next thing I knew, it had been 20 minutes and I hadn't really done anything. And I'll never forget this. The boss turned to me and he looked at me and as kind as he knew how to tell me, he was a deacon in the church, he turned to me and he said, Richard, it's okay to talk, but work while you talk. Hey, it's okay to walk with God, but work while you walk. And walk while you work. Christian, let's take a few minutes and, 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 and reflect. Are we out of balance? And then let's take a minute and reprioritize and, and set ourselves up. Here's, here's what I want you to get. If, if you keep doing what you've done, you're going to keep getting what you've got. If you don't make some changes in 2019... You're going, to be, you're going to be in the same place or in a worse place in 2019 than where you are today because you'll keep drifting away from where you ought to go. Number three, resolve to revive. Resolve to revive. Now look at chapter 19, verse 13. Uh, and, and so he's just seen these great wonders, these great works. And God wasn't in any of those, but yet he was in that still small voice. Look at Elijah's response. And it was so when Elijah heard it, that still small voice that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life and take it away. Now, Satan had gotten God's man to fall in his most brutal trap. You know what that trap was? The trap of isolation. You're the only one, Elijah. You're the only one that's serving God. Everybody else has bowed down to Baal. Everyone else has kissed the idol Baal. You're the only one trying to do right. Satan uses this isolation trick a lot. You mess up and make a mistake. You're the only one that struggles with that. You're the only one that's experienced that. You're the only one that knows what that's like. And you're all alone. And no one can relate with you. And no one understands you. And even God doesn't want to have anything to do with you. Even God can't help you. And Satan had gotten Elijah, God's man, to fall into the isolation trap. And Elijah had, had, had slept. 
He had eaten food prepared by an angel. He had taken a trip to the mountain of Moses. He had seen God do some sensational things and had uh, been spoken to by the still small voice of God's Spirit. And after all that, Elijah still wanted to quit on God's calling for his life. He buries his face in his, in his mantle or his jacket. He walks out of his hiding place and God says to him, What are you still doing here, Elijah? He proceeds to tell God that he's lonely. What Elijah needed was to be spiritually revived or brought back to life. We reflect and we prioritize all of that is vain unless the Spirit of God breathes on our plans. Hey, the best made plans will fail if God's not in the center of them. You look at 2019 and you can set the bar high for what you want to achieve and you can even set things spiritually in place and you can do everything you can to try to get it that way. And my friend, if God's not in it, it is a waste of time. Put the quote up there on the screen for me. I want you to to, to write this down and really think about this later. The Christian life is not about self-improvement. It's about self-abandonment. The Christian life is not about self-improvement, but about self-abandonment. Hey, it isn't what you think is best for you. It's about you abandoning your flesh and saying, Spirit of the living God, speak to me and show me how you want me to do things. It's the idea of dying to the flesh, dying daily. Resolve to revive. When we abandon our efforts and allow God to improve us, it's then we experience His hand of power come over us. Our marriages are taken to another level. Our work relationships are taken to another level. Our church ministries and those in them are taken up a level. Everything and everyone we touch has the power of God affected in some way or another. The psalmist said it this way in chapter 85, verse 6. He said, Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? The truth is, some of you here today, you listen to the message and you think, I, I, I do walk with God and I am doing the work with God, but pastor, it's gotten stale. Pastor, it's getting old. I've been doing it for decades or for years and I'm just not seeing things and, and I don't really know where to go. It may just be that you need the Spirit of God to come down and breathe on you again and bring you back to life and revive you so that you can have that newfound energy in Christ that you once had to do His work. You can reflect and reprioritize all day, but if it's done in your own strength, it will fail and at best, and it will it will give you a false pretense of a measure of success measure of success at worst. And we need to make sure that what we do for the Lord works not because of our work or our effort, but because God has breathed on it and revived it. Resolved to reflect, resolved to reprioritize, resolved to revive. Let me give you number four: resolved. To recommit. I'll, I'll hasten through this. Resolve to recommit. Letter A, notice, commitment involves my actions. My actions. Look down at 1 Kings 19, verse 15. And the Lord said unto him, notice the action verbs here. Go. Return. It's time for you to quit with a hiatus, quit with a pity party. Quit with the whining about how you're the only one. Go. Get out of here, Elijah. You've had your time of healing. Get out of here. Go. Get back to work. Return on thy way uh, to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, notice again the action verb, anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. Further down in the chapter, you find that he's to anoint Elisha to be the prophet in thy room. So God uh, is telling him here, uh, if you're going to resolve here to reflect and reprioritize and revive, you've got to uh, resolve to recommit. Recommit. So the Sunday school teachers here this morning can I ask you a question. 2019. Can you commit to maybe do it a little bit different? Do it a little bit better? Pray a little bit harder? Recommit yourselves to give it, give it your all? For those of you here that make our bus ministry work, can you decide that in 2019 there won't be Sunday where you just go through the motions? But you're going to pray a little bit harder? 
You're going you're gonna, to uh, uh, ask God to do it a little bit more through you than you did in the year before? To our nursery workers, you say, oh, I'm just working the nursery and I know how to hold a baby. I've held babies my whole life. I've had four of them and, and i got grandbabies now going in the nursery is no big deal. And, and I know how to work it. Listen, that little baby that you're holding in your arms has so much potential in the future and needs you to be right with God as you go in there and do that. And do that in the power of God. It involves my actions. You know the saying, right? Put your money where your mouth is. To the Christian, I would say this. Put your actions where your heart is. Why don't we go out and do for the Lord and recommit to the Lord? For some of you here, it isn't about signing up to do anything new. It's just saying, God, I've caught my breath. I'm all in. And I'm going to give it my best. You know what Elijah did? He got up and he did everything God told him to do. And he groomed Elisha. Elisha. You have Elijah and Elisha. Don't get them mixed up, all right? How many of you ever get those two guys mixed up? It can be confusing, right? You get, he went and got Elisha, and he groomed him to be the next prophet of Israel in his, his place. And then notice letter B. Commitment involves my attitude. Involves my attitude. For some of you here this morning, this is the greatest point I'll cover. I know it's point B, letter B, under the last point. It's a sub-point under the last point, And you're ready for me just to finish up and be done. But some of you, this is the point you really need this morning. Alright, look with me at chapter 18, verse 18. Now, twice, Elijah tells God, I'm the only one in this passage. God waits until the very end to tell him, no, that's not true. Yet, I have left me 7,000 in Israel. All the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. So he, Elijah departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, and who is plowing with twelve uh, yoke of oxen before him, and, and, and he with the twelfth, and Elijah uh, passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. You know what Elijah didn't understand? Was that, no, you're not alone. You think you're the only one doing right? You're not alone. You're not alone. There's 7,000 other people that still have stayed loyal and true to me throughout the country. And yes, that might still be a small percentage, but 7,000 is a whole lot more than one, Elijah. And Elijah got his perspective right. He got his attitude adjusted. When he got his attitude adjusted, he was able to go forth and do the work of the Lord in an effective way. Some of you here, you show up into your ministry, and when it's time for you to do your ministry work, or maybe you're doing your, 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 your uh, relational work or your provisional work, one of those three balls we talked about earlier, you're doing it with the wrong attitude. You're going through the motions. And my friend, if you're going to recommit to doing it the right way, then you're going to need to adjust that attitude and tell the Lord, my attitude's been out of line, my attitude's been wrong, I'm going to get an attitude that puts the kingdom of God first, and I'm going to do this thing in a way that's full-blown commitment to the Lord, and I'm going to resolve to recommit. Some of you here, you've been saying, Pastor, I can't buy into everything the Bible says because. You know why? Because your attitude. You've been saying, Pastor, I can't read my Bible every day because. You know what you need? You need a new attitude. Some of you are saying, Pastor, I tried praying, but I can't be consistent because... Or, Pastor, I can't help in the nursery because. Or, Pastor, I can't share my faith because. Or, Pastor, I can't help out with this church ministry or that church ministry because. For Elijah, the temptation and trap was isolation. For you, it might be different. But the answer is all the same. An adjustment of perspective and a new attitude and a recommitment to do the work of the Lord and be faithful to the end. I'll finish with uh, this, a challenge to our, I'll call, fourth quarter saints. Fourth quarter saints. Some of you here have gotten to the fourth quarter of life. You're approaching the last, you're approaching the, the end. Your health isn't what it used to be. Your energy isn't as uh, robust as it used to be. You have medical problems that nag you. You have uh, friends that are retiring and moving out of state. Right? And you're saying, Pastor, I, I did my part. It's time for me just to coast to the finish line. And I've got to tell you that if that's your attitude, then, my friend, you need to take that attitude of the Lord in prayer and say, God, renew my spirit. For those of you that are in the fourth quarter of life, why don't you make the fourth quarter the best quarter? 
oh no, you may not, you may need to readjust and, and, and change things around how you, how you serve the Lord. But let's, whatever you give your heart to, let's serve the Lord with all of our heart and our might. Those of you that are younger, I look around the auditorium and I see a John and Carla Segru, a Jay and Cindy Barone visiting today. Uh, I see uh, several other, several others, Jim and Joanne Owens and, and Peggy and Vinnie Urbanowitz and, and, and several of the others, uh, Pam Dalton, who, who they've, they've been here a long, long time. Most of them since the early days of the history, if not the beginning of the church in its history. And, and, and they carried the weight of growing this church on their shoulder, especially when they were young in their youth. And uh, uh, Vinny, who was here helping renovate the, the building up there, and several of the others that were giving their all in their heart, and they're getting older, and they're not able to give the energy they used to give. And they turn around, and they look at the youth of my generation, and they say, where is the youth? that will step up and take the baton and carry forth the work of the Lord the way that we did. And my friend, if you're young in this church today, please don't just show up and be a pew potato. Let's get busy doing the work of the Lord while we're walking with the Lord. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. Resolved. Resolved. Resolved to reflect. How'd you do in 2018? Resolve to reprioritize. Let's make some adjustments and make 2019 better. The best adjustments are vain if God's not going to breathe revival on them. Some of you here today, you've been doing all the right things. You just need a recommitment. You need your attitude adjusted. To be totally honest with you, this is a Sunday evening style sermon I've preached on a Sunday morning. Sometimes those that just come on Sunday morning, they need to be challenged this way. You're that boat sitting out in the sound. Are you speeding toward the Lord or drifting from Him? How about it today? If you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, in a few moments the piano will begin playing, the altar will be open. We'd love to take the Bible and show you how you can know that Jesus is the Lord or the Savior of your heart, the leader of your life, the lover of your soul. How that you can be completely settled on where you're going when you die. I believe most of you here today, you've got that figured out. Are you doing the work of the Lord balanced with a walk with God? Let's stand together with our heads bowed and eyes closed. The piano begins playing. The altar's open. How about it today, Christian? Where are you out of balance? The Lord's worked with me this week on this. Does He need to work with you on this?